All right, we've been studying the book of John together. Out in the foyer are some Gospels of John. Um, so you are welcome to uh, pick those up, take them with you, uh, give them away to others. And I hope that you're uh, continuing to read along with us together. Um, today, we are thinking about uh, this, this whole picture of the amazing grace of God. We're going to look at how grace makes a powerful difference in our everyday lives, not just in the people of the Bible, but in our lives. And so John 8 that we'll be looking at today and then next week is really a chapter full of contrast. What we're thinking about today is the contrast between grace and the law. Uh, and so the, the whole legal, legal side of it and over against the grace that Jesus demonstrates. Um, we'll, we'll continue to see things like the contrast between light and darkness, between freedom and bondage, honor and dishonor. Um, you know, really what this chapter is showing you is the contrast between Jesus and non-Jesus. Jesus in your life over against not having Christ in your life and the difference that Jesus makes uh, to all of us. So as we step into John 8 today, uh, you're opening a story that I think we can all relate to. Uh, it's the story of getting caught. It's a, it's a grace-filled story, but it's a story that maybe we can relate to. As we, uh, you know how the image of kind of having your uh, hand caught in the cookie jar, uh, your, your grandma's house, and you're sneaking snacks, uh, and she comes in and, and catches you. We all know what that feels like uh, to be caught, being up on that stool, trying to get up on the counter uh, where we knew we didn't belong. Um, we can still feel like that as adults, can we? We can, feel, we can feel caught. We actually can get caught in our sin. And we have this terrifying feeling that the woman in John 8 had at the beginning of this chapter. And it's a, it's a feeling of wanting to crawl in the largest hole you can find, right? This woman needed a Grand Canyon-sized hole. I mean, she was looking for a place to hide because of what uh, had happened in her life. So um, the story begins in John 8, verse 1 through 3. It said, but Jesus went, in, went on to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group, caught this woman is in the worst possible circumstances, right? I mean, we don't know her name, but we sure know how she must have felt. Here she is in the, the front of the temple. Uh, this is the most holy place uh, where people would come to worship. She's brought there by the Pharisees, the most religious people of her day. She's brought to the temple and she's standing before Jesus Christ himself and she's surrounded by the crowd. Can you imagine how she felt? Can you imagine? Well, I mean, like the worst day of her life, right? The worst day of your life. Had you been there and felt that? Like, like some of the times that we might feel that when we've been caught, caught in sin, caught by somebody else. Like I've never been able to live that down, that, that kind of feeling. So when you, when you look at this story, uh, we're going to see some things that 
even though this looks like the worst day in her life, when Jesus showed up, it turned out to be one of the best days, right? Awesome how he does that, how Jesus comes and gets involved. And when you think you're at your worst, he can make it even the best when he reveals to us uh, who we are. You know, the truth is that if you never face the truth of who you are, it's really difficult to hear what God has to say about who you can become, the person that you can become. Now, I'm not suggesting that all of us should come down to the front today um, and face the truth. But what I am saying is that God comes to us and helps us to deal with the truth about who we are. And that instead of running away from it or rationalizing about it, blaming someone else for it, we can turn and face it. Because as believers, we recognize that we are sinners saved by the grace of God, right? All of us in this room, it's such a blessing to know that we were sinners, but we have been saved by Jesus forgiveness and grace that he offers up to us. So when you look at this woman, we learn some things about ourselves and how God treats us as we watch how God treats her. You know, that's what the, that's what the Bible is for. Uh, this woman is not just being highlighted because of her problem. He, this, this story is highlighted so that Jesus could help you to know when you stand in that place, how is God, how is Jesus going to respond to you in your sin. Aren't you glad that I didn't make this story up myself? Aren't you glad that somebody just didn't write this as a little myth? This is one of the most amazing moments in all of time for the God of the universe in the person of Jesus Christ to demonstrate to us how he deals with us on our very worst days. Praise God. Jesus, we are told here, uh, in the book of John, uh, we learned in chapter 1 that Moses brought the law, but that Jesus was full of grace and truth. And so that's the contrast. Jesus is greater than Moses. Moses came and brought the law that was given to us by God, but Jesus comes and offers us his grace. So in this story, we see they come up, uh, these religious leaders, and they've caught this woman. Uh, verse 4 to 6 says, and Jesus said, teacher, and they said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, there's, there's that idea, the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this as a what? A trap. That's what's happening. They were using it as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground uh, with his finger. So what's happening here? This is a terrible moment, a terrible experience for her. Um, some, this, this woman has been brought in. They brought her and they're laying this out. She's caught in the act of adultery. Don't we have to stone her? That's their question. Don't you notice there's something fishy going on here? There's definitely something fishy in this story. See, the, the verse that they're referring to is Deuteronomy 22:22. It says, if a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both the man who slept with her and the woman must die. What's wrong with this story? Where's the man? Where's the man? 
Like, what is happening here? Where's the guy? Um, They could have said that they didn't know, but that's not what they said. They said, caught in the act, right? So, they were both there. Uh, And this guy is not being brought before them. Uh, So, what's going on? Well, we're going to find out there's a lot more to this story than just their reaction to this woman. This is not just a bunch of legalistic people. This is a bunch of people who are out to get Jesus. Uh, Remember, I told you last week, we're moving toward greater tension toward him. You can see that here. The Pharisees wanted to put Jesus between a rock and a hard place. That's exactly what they do. The one thing, the rock, I guess, is stoning the woman. What did he have to say about that? The law had said she to be stoned if she committed this sin. The hard place was the role of the government. See, the Roman government had ruled that capital punishment could only happen through the Roman government. Now, what they would allow is that there would be Jewish government leaders and and committees and councils that had some authority, but they couldn't take anybody's life. You remember that's part of the conversation going on in the trials of Jesus and why they wanted uh, Pilate and those other people to make this proclamation. So, um, So Jesus, if he said, stone her, then he would have been going against the Roman government. They probably would have got him for that. Uh, If he said not to stone her, then he's going against the Jewish leaders and they'd have come after him uh, for that. So they're trying uh, to trap him and they think they're so smart, right? Do you know that Jesus always has the right thing to say at the right time? Ooh, that's a good good little principle to add to your thinking. Jesus always has the right thing to say at the right time. Before we see how Jesus beautifully kind of met this challenge there, uh, I just just want you to think a minute about about the sin that this woman is is caught in. You know, a lot of times we see the sin of adultery. Uh, We see a lot about sexual sin in our society. And it always makes kind of alarm bells go off for us because we recognize that sexual sin is such a major issue in our culture, right? We see it all the time. There are many people that struggle with that, uh, that struggle in those areas. It's such a temptation for us in our sin. Uh, But and we see it all the time. No, all you got to do is watch TV a little bit. Uh, stuff that you read. Hollywood is infamous, right? For making it seem all right to be involved in sexual sin, adultery, TV, movies. It's all around us. It highlights us. The law here is very serious about sin, and we should be serious about it as well. Uh, you know, a lot of times I think people uh, feel like that every marriage is filled with adultery. You know, there, there, it, it is there. It might be even uh, represented in this room today. We don't know for sure. But I want to tell you, when you think everybody's involved in sexual sin, you just be reminded that there's a bunch of us that are not. Right? I mean, we don't, we talk a lot about the negativity of adultery and sexual sin in our life. But the truth is we need to talk more about the positive people that are standing true to each other in great faithfulness in their life. Say amen for sure on that. Praise God for that. 
uh, is just so prevalent in our society. So as we deal with this issue, Jesus is helping us to understand that it is to be taken very seriously. We're not making light of it. But at the same time, do you have a choice? Yes, you do. The power of God wants to help us. And so that's what's happening here. We are seeing in this story, incredibly, the power of grace. The power of the grace of God. You need grace. You are not going to make it without, without grace. The power of God through his grace, um, recognizing what he wants to do for us, how he wants to help us to be able to, to stand true to him, recognizing what he wants to accomplish. Now, that's his desire for us. He wants us to be true and faithful to him, to allow his grace to help us. You know, the law is not enough to get me through. You know, just because people say it's wrong to do this and this and this and this, and you can get your own list together. Uh, the truth is, I need something greater than the law to get me and keep me clean, right? The, what we do is allow the Spirit of God to recognize that he offers his grace to us. You know, whatever we do, wherever we're caught in, like this woman, God offers us the power of his grace to be able to help us to deal with temptation and struggle and issues that we know God wants us to make better choices at. So he takes this all very seriously, and we can see what is happening here. They bring him, um, this woman. Here she is. They're ready to stone her. Notice what Jesus does. Jesus uh, comes down, and he begins to write with his finger on the ground. Don't you think that's one of the most amazing little scenes there? Um, what's going on? I mean, nobody knows what he wrote. The Bible doesn't tell us for sure. There, there's quite a few suggestions about it, uh, what he might have been writing. One was that maybe he, was, uh, he wasn't in a rush to make a decision. Maybe he's trying to, to gather his perspective about what's happening there. Uh, he took his time. He, he gave a little moment for them to cool off a little bit in, in their accusations against her. Uh, the second, another suggestion, might be that he uh, he's waiting for them to kind of think through what they're saying. Uh, they are sure condemning, aren't they? They got stones in hand. As a matter of fact, I have some stones here today, so I'm gonna so I got a few little stones to remind us. So stones in hand. Here they are. But you know they didn't really care about her sin. That wasn't what they were thinking about. They were supposed to be the people that were closest to God. But notice how they're acting. And how they've responded. So maybe Jesus is giving them an opportunity to repeat themselves so that they realize what they are talking about and what they are saying. Um, maybe Jesus is overwhelmed by the shame of these religious people and, and how they're treating her. They have no compassion. Here they come with words of accusation, stones in hand. I think one of the most interesting suggestions about what he might have been writing uh, was that uh, is the particular word that's used here. There's a particular Greek word that is used when it's translated to, to describe his writing on the ground. Uh, the usual word would have just meant to write, like writing with his finger. But the word that's used here is to write and record a record against someone. That's very interesting. That doesn't prove what he's writing there, but I think he might have been on the ground writing out uh, the name of a, a lady and pointing an arrow at one of those dudes, and maybe he wrote another little name. Over. He's letting them know maybe that he knows their heart. 
He knows how they think and that even the very sin that they are accusing her of, maybe they were, uh, they were condemned for it uh, as well. So Jesus, whatever happened, he's uh, helping those that are accusing to know that he understands them uh, very well. So verse 7. Verse 7 says, uh, when they kept on questioning him, notice they repeated it over and over. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Uh, we're going to say that whole quote right there, beginning with the word let. Uh, would, you, would you say that with me? Ready? Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. That's quite a principle, isn't it? Uh, for us to have that verse kind of hidden away in our heart about our own actions toward others. He finishes it again. He stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. Put yourself in, in the place, not in the place of the Pharisees, but in the place of this woman. Jesus is about to communicate to her three different things that bring about forgiveness in her life. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people, probably a bunch of you in here, that have been forgiven of the things that have happened in your life. I just want to ask you, are you enjoying your forgiveness? Are you enjoying your forgiveness in him? Because I meet a lot of people that are still suffering sins of the past, even though they've been forgiven. You know, you, you can live in bondage to those things that have happened to you. I mean, there, um, maybe there's some of you that haven't experienced forgiveness yet. Today would be a great day. I mean, what better day are you going to get than to be forgiven of some sinful past that you have? But even if you have been forgiven, you know Christ. Are you still lingering under the suffering of the guilt and the hurt? You know, you'll never be able to be free, never be able to be used fully until you fully embrace the forgiveness. Because many of you think maybe you're not worthy of it. Well, it's true. But he makes us worthy. He offers it so freely to us. He says, whoever is without sin, let him cast the first stone. Uh, he was saying to this woman, first of all, you are not alone. You are not alone. Yes, you sinned. Yes, it's serious and hurtful, but you are not alone. Everyone else walked away. Everyone has sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So when it comes to sin, there's some things to remember. First of all, don't get overly depressed about your sin. Let yourself be healed and forgiven by Jesus Christ. He didn't intend for you to live in bondage for the rest of your life. Number two, don't be overly impressed by your sin. You are not alone. We recognize that God is with us. He does not leave us on our own. Don't be depressed. Don't be impressed. You know, sometimes people think, well, I'm, you know, I'm just living however I want to. And they don't seem to feel any shame or guilt about that. I mean, don't, deep, don't be overly depressed. But don't be impressed either. Put your trust in Christ. I mean, the thing that's going on here is that they're trying to get him in a trap. They wanted Jesus to stay stone her. He said, fine, go ahead. If you're perfect, then you go ahead and stone her. And so he called their bluff there on that road that day. None of them were without sin. Who's the only one there without sin? 
Jesus. So who's the only one that could throw any stones? He's the only person who's lived on this earth without sin. So we, we recognize that not, he tells them, woman, you're, you're not alone. Uh, even though everybody else walked away, Jesus was still there with her. The second thing he said, uh, tells her is reminding her that she is not condemned. She is not condemned. 10 and 11 says, Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Did you say that? Neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now, leave your life of sin. Wow. Uh, you are not condemned. The only person in the crowd that had a right to cast a stone was Jesus. He's the only person who ever lived who had the right to throw a stone for our sinfulness. He says, you are not alone. Then he says, you are not condemned. Condemned means empty, useless, ready for the wrecking ball, ready to be torn down. You are not condemned. You were not built for condemnation. You were not built to be condemned. Jesus looks you in the eye and he says, that's not you. You are useful. You are meaningful. You have a life that is important and significant. You are full of life and you are ready to serve. You are who I created you to be. I offer you my grace. You are not condemned. Praise God. We recognize that condemnation for us is not the cure for sin. Condemnation is not the cure for sin. It is, it is the punishment for sin. Romans 8.1 says, There is now, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That would be none. No condemnation. We need to understand that. There's a lot of times that we get our, ourselves in a trap and we think that somehow the, the condemnation is what I deserve for my sin. The condemnation is like my cure for the sin. That is not the cure. If I just consent, condemn myself long enough, if I just heap enough guilt on myself, if I just put myself down enough, then I'll get better. That does not work. Never has, never will. You cannot get grace by heaping guilt upon yourself. It doesn't work that way. The reason that we do it, and we do it real well, is that sometimes in the short term, it maybe makes us feel a little bit better. But here's this incredible scene. This woman caught in adultery, the one who spoke the stars into existence, the one who created all things, looks at her and speaks these words, you are not condemned. They didn't condemn you and neither do I. Some of you, maybe the reason that God even brought you here this morning is that you would hear those words. You are not condemned. So we're just going to say it out loud, all right? Because of what Jesus said, I can say to myself, I am not condemned. I am not condemned. Say it. I am not condemned. Say it from deep in your soul. I am not condemned. Those are the words of Jesus. I want to tell you, you could walk out of here right now and be way better. <laughs> I am not condemned. I am not alone. We recognize that God has shown his love to us. He has poured out immense grace upon us. It is grace that reaches lower than your biggest mistakes. 
your deepest sin, your greatest sin. I mean, if you're going to commit your life to someone, commit your life to someone that can offer you no condemnation. It's grace that runs further and deeper in all of our lives, recognizing that you are not condemned. So what, what is grace? I mean, grace, uh, I need it, don't you? I mean, I need a lot of grace. G-R-A-C-E is such a small uh, little word. Um, It is gained righteousness at Christ's expense. Grace that is offered to us through the cross of Jesus Christ. Grace unearned. Grace is received. Uh, It can't be earned. It's a gift that is realized, that is adequate above everything. Every debt is paid. Every offer of sin is... Uh, every sin in our life is forgiven. We get ready and we come expectantly. Grace is a movement of God that not only changes us, but can change the world. Wouldn't the world be a better place if we live by grace? Grace, God offering his grace to us, God granting us uh, rest and communion with him, God bridging the gap between us and him. The battle is over. God reigns. Christ is exalted. God is ready to offer his grace to us. G-R-A-C-E, grace. What would my life be without grace? What would you be without grace? Never deserved, never attained. Jesus dies in our place so we have a place with him and not only did he die but he's alive Uh, he's alive he is uh, he is grace Jesus is grace and it's grace for all people men women boys girls teenagers young adults older adults brown white all colors blue eyes green eyes uh, brown eyes whatever he is it is free it is mighty it is unexplainable it is uncontainable love leave your sinfulness on the basis of the grace of God. We are all unworthy, but he makes us worthy. We are all broken, but he makes us whole. We recognize that he renews us. He frees us. He loves us. He offers us this ever-flowing grace of God. It was a setup, wasn't it? It was a setup for this woman. She is thrown down on her knees before Jesus by the enemies. And here they are with stones to condemn them, to condemn her, to kill her. But if she had never heard the sound of grace before, here's what it sounded like. That's awesome. (laughs) I, I, I don't think you got it. If she had never heard grace before, this is what it sounded like. (laughs) Praise God. It is an old story, but it's your story and my story. We discover Christ. We discover his grace. And he loves me. Let the rocks fall to the ground. And let his grace rain down. You thought it was over for you, but you didn't realize no condemnation. I was sure that he would cut me out, but he didn't cut me out. He brought me in. 
Praise God. I'm blessed so much. <laughs> I thought that I had strayed too far for him to love me. But he said, you are not condemned. Amen. <laughs> he loved me. You loved me. He loved you. He loves you now. So I have to fall on my knees because these stones should have landed on us. We should have been the one stone. But we heard what grace sounds like. Not condemned. Wow. Amazing grace is what he offers to us. I am not alone. You are not condemned. The last one is you are not, I mean, excuse me, you are responsible for your sin. We all are. Notice what, what this woman, what, what is said to, him, to her. Um, go, leave your sin. Go and walk away from your sin. Go and leave your life of sin, verse 11. You know, we are responsible for our sin, right? It's pretty exciting to talk about not condemned, uh, not alone, but we are responsible for our sin. We have to face our sin. We can't blame everybody else. We can't accuse others. We have to come before Christ and recognize uh, the reason I spent so much time talking about grace is it's okay to go to Jesus with your worst with your hurts, with your sin. Jesus does not condemn sin, but neither does he condone sin. He does not condone sin. He doesn't say, it's okay. I feel sorry for you. Nope. Jesus hates sin, right? Jesus hates sin, and Jesus confronts sin. He recognizes what these, what these Pharisees are up to. He said, had no one condemned you, neither do I go and leave your life of sin. You are responsible. Go now and leave. Make a choice. Because of the grace of God, because of the no condemnation, go and walk away from your life of sin. We can do that, right? We can do that by the power of grace. It's not an option. He says, leave your life of sin. If you're feeling like you don't have any choice, if you're feeling like I'm just all wrapped up in this uh, part of my life, I just want to tell you, it is an option. Jesus wouldn't command us to do something that we were not capable of doing by his grace and help when jesus doesn't condemn our condemn our sin when he pours out grace on us he doesn't do it to provide a way to get away from your sin he provides it to get away in our lives to move in a whole new direction i mean if if you've been a believer at all you have found that jesus is enough to overcome your sin how many of you believe that Huh. He is enough. His grace is enough. And our relationship with him brings lasting and powerful joy to us. So um, we're, we're going to uh, celebrate that this morning in this place. Uh, we, we take communion here, and uh, I welcome you. Now, let's think about communion just for a moment. I think I'm going to invite those that are serving, if you just come uh, and get ready, and they'll just hold it just for a few minutes. Uh, communion is, is just a symbol, right? It's a symbol that Jesus asked us to participate in um, and recognize this bread and this juice. Now, I went to a symbol yesterday. Um, 
I went to a symbol where this couple stood together and said some beautiful words, made tears come to my eyes, held hands, exchanged rings. And you know what? It was a symbol, but it was real, right? How many of you have been in that symbol? You have a bunch of you in here. You got married, you know, and it was, it, it made a difference, right? I mean, I bet this morning that little lady is, um, is saying, you know, she, he might not feel married, but he's married, right? <laughs> it was a symbol, but it's a powerful symbol. Well, that's what's happening here. We can, we can take, we have these men uh, that are serving us today, uh, but this is a symbol, but this is a moment that could be life altering for you. Maybe you're in this room today. This bread and juice symbolizes the grace of God that has been given and poured out just for you. That is awesome. So if you're in bondage to sin, if you feel like you got all the, the world around you is piling guilt upon you, I want you to know today that Jesus Christ can set you free. Jesus Christ sitting in this room right now, the master of the universe, is willing to say to you the same thing he said to this woman. You are not alone. I am with you. I will never forsake you, regardless of whatever happens. You are not condemned. You are not condemned. You might be a life filled with shame. You know, we, don't, we never know what's going on inside of somebody else, do we? I mean, we all look pretty and all that tonight and uh, this morning, but, you know, we, we recognize there's stuff going on inside. Would you give all that to Jesus? We're going to say a prayer, but I want you to receive his grace today. A lot of times in the church, we would call something like this, a means of grace. What that means is that the grace of God comes to me in the recognition of what's happening in this moment. So go, leave your life of sin, follow him, give up the shame. What a sound. Let's pray. Jesus, as we get ready to take this bread and juice, what, what a moment here. Lord, it, it just seems so nice in here today. But in our hearts and minds, we can see ourselves in the dirt, on our knees, before the Savior. Thank you. All those times that the stones could have pounded us. But you said, neither do I condemn you. This morning in this place, before we eat bread and drink this juice, help us right now to receive the grace of God. Forgive that one, Lord, that came in and has been holding something from their past or maybe just from yesterday. Whatever is happening there, we offer you ourselves. We lift our heads and we ask you, oh God, to help us, forgive us, redeem us, change us. Thank you for grace. We receive you today in Jesus' name. Please serve us. You ever seen something so beautiful 
that you couldn't get it out of your head? Something so beautiful that was in your heart that uh, never lost its luster or is always awesome? Kind of puts a smile on your face that you just can't wipe off. It's beautiful. That's the grace of God. This is what's his plan. All that he had offered, all that he had done. Grace says he chose me. He wanted me. He picked me. His grace says he loved me. He forgave me and he died for me. Grace says regardless of our problems, I'm accepted. Regardless of my sin, I've been given a new heart and a new start. Grace reaches into my life and it frees me from timeless trying on my own, endless wandering, constant failure. Jesus is grace. He walked out of that tomb and said, I choose you, I want you, I forgive you, I love you, I desire you, I pursue you. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, and now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far and grace will lead me home grace will lead me home the Lord has promised good to me my his word my hope secures he will my shield and portion be as long as life endures the world shall soon dissolve like snow the sun refused to shine but God who called me here below shall be forever mine when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we've just begun. Amazing grace, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now... I'm found. Say that. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Say it. Was blind, but now I see. The grace of God changes everything, changes our world, changes us inside. Let's stand together. Sing that. Amazing grace. Amazing. Let's just go back. We're going to go back, sing that same verse, sing it again. Amazing grace. Amazing grace. How sweet. Do you hear that? How sweet the sound that say, oh, yeah. One just 
just like me, just like you. Praise his name. Here it is. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. So here we are this morning. We're not on our knees with stones ready to be thrown at our head. We're standing with a piece of bread and a cup of juice. Jesus said, this bread represents, it represents the means to grace. He gave his life for you. He died for you. Maybe that doesn't make sense to you, but it doesn't have to make sense. By faith, we recognize that Jesus took care of our sin and our shame and was able to say, you're not condemned because of what this piece of bread represents. So we eat this bread in full remembrance that Jesus Christ gave his life for me. In your heart, know that this piece of bread says, you're not condemned. Let's eat together in Jesus' name. too fast this cup of juice we know it's, just, it's a symbol it represents Jesus said his shed blood for you the Bible says that only through the blood of Jesus can there be forgiveness of sin Jesus offers himself to you he took your place he took your sin he took all of that stuff that made you where this woman was right there. On that day, he took it all for you. You know, and you can't earn it. You can't pay him back. You, you, you can't do anything to earn it yourself. All you can do is just say thank you. You know how I meet people all the time that have so much trouble taking some a gift, right? You know, you want to say, man, you look so nice today. Or, you know, it was magnificent what you did yesterday. And some people say, oh, yes, nothing. and then you hear them kind of mumbling because they, you know what you should do? Just say thank you. Thank you. That's what we're saying today. Thank you. Where would I be without you? A stone upside my head. Probably be dead. That's the sound of grace. Let's drink together in remembrance that Jesus Christ shed his blood for you and be very, very thankful. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, thanks for what you've done in this place today. Lord, I pray that we recognize this wasn't just about church service. This was about the grace of God. Pray today that there are men and women here who can walk out of this room knowing that the shame and the guilt that they've held on to for so long is gone. That woman got up and walked away with an opportunity 
for a new heart, a new start, salvation in Christ. That's what we do. As we walk out of here in a moment, Lord, whatever we had known before we came in or whatever we had forgotten to receive fully, today we are reminded we are not alone. We are not condemned. And yet we are responsible for making the choices that we make from this moment on, not in our own strength, but in your strength. We praise you together. We thank you for what you did in this place today. And we sing this great last verse. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less day. celebrate him together. Praise God. Hallelujah. Have a great morning. God bless you. Amen. Hallelujah.